Today we come to the end of prayer week and we have joined with the church across the nation to pray thy kingdom come for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for the breath of God's spirit to come in power and revive our hearts and our nation. And what better today to celebrate all this on this day, Pentecost Sunday, the day on which the Holy Spirit was poured out in power on the early church, just as Jesus had promised. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts 2. But let's just quickly look at chapter 1 before I go any further. Chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so this is Jesus at his ascension into heaven telling the disciples to wait for the gift the Father had promised, to wait in Jerusalem and be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to wait and receive power from on high. What for? So they could be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And then in chapter 2, it reads this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're all probably really familiar with this passage. We all know about Pentecost. We talk all about Pentecost. But I believe the Lord would have us all experience a new Pentecost this morning. And I don't think we should be content to experience anything else. And while we may be familiar with this text, do we really know what Pentecost is about? Well, to know what Pentecost really means, we need to look at the account in the books of Acts to see what it is that Pentecost achieves and the huge changes in life it brings. So let's ask God to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our minds and our spirits to what it is he wants to do. So let me pray. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks this morning for what is going on in this nation today. That up and down this country, people are gathering together to pray but people are gathering together to have gatherings, the beacon nights. Lord, would you light your fire again in this nation? 
Would you light your fire this morning? And Lord, we give you the glory. Amen. Now, when God is about to do something really important, he usually gives some sign beforehand to somehow grab our attention. And here we've got these two preparatory signs, and the first is the violent wind. And in Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit are the same, ruach. It's the same word that was used right back at the beginning of Genesis, when God breathed life into creation. And the sound of this wind is, first of all, a sign for our ears. It's a sign for our hearing, something for our ears to hear, to get our attention, to make sure we're listening. And then comes a sign for our eyes, something for our eyes to see. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And again, just like the wind, fire is another sign of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was talking about John the Baptist back in Acts 1, he was referring to a verse in Matthew 3 when John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Wind and fire, signs and symbols of the Holy Spirit. And right up until this moment, the apostles were probably in some kind of state of silence and expectation. Jesus had told them to go and wait, to wait for the gift the Father was going to send them. And so probably and quietly, patiently, and without really knowing what's going to happen next, that's what they've been doing, waiting patiently to see God, what he would do. And then the reality of Pentecost comes in power. And it's all summed up in less than one line. They were all filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we should really pause here for a while. Because it's so easy to skip over this phrase without really realizing what's happening here. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, all Filled with the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? What does that look like? What is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the love of God. It's this flame, this flame of love, the fire of life, the fire of light. We can use so many names, so many pictures, but love really is the best one of all. Because the Holy Spirit is the love that goes between the Father and the Son. So to say that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit means that they were all filled with the love of God. They were caught in the middle of the furnace of love. In Romans 5.5, Paul explains Pentecost in this, way, in this way. And hope does not put us to shame because God's, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. This is, in essence, a short account of Pentecost. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is the essence of Pentecost. They were baptized in the love of God. It's as if the ocean of all of God's incredible love had been broken through all the barriers, all the obstacles, 
and has inundated them and submersed them and overwhelmed them. And that's why from this moment forth, they were different people. They were new men and women. And they were intoxicated, overwhelmed and overcome by his presence and by his love. And any time a person has a new Pentecost, the most enduring aspect of it is the discovery of the love of God, to be loved by God. Now, Jesus had told them all this was going to happen. And just 10 days before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1 verse, 1, verse 7, Jesus said, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, it was Pentecost. But let's just take a, a moment to look at the word baptized. Baptized means to be fully immersed in water. And this was a full immersion. If we want to experience a new Pentecost, we must be ready to open our hearts and receive this full, Niagara Falls of the love of God. But before moving on, Let's just take, go back to the opening verse. When the day of Pentecost came. Because what this means is that Pentecost existed before this Pentecost, if you get my meaning. We tend to think of Pentecost as the day the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, which it was. But Pentecost had been celebrated for centuries before. They had all gathered together in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And in much the same way, as we can't grasp the full meaning of Easter, unless we see it as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Passover feast. So too, we won't fully understand Pentecost unless we see it as the fulfillment of the first Old Testament Pentecost. At Pentecost, it was an ag agricultural feast when the priest offered to God the first sheaf of the harvest. But then Pentecost acquired a new meaning and became a historical feast, which was to commemorate events on Mount Sinai, when God gave the law and on the basis of the law established a new covenant between God and his people. And certainly at the time of Jesus, Pentecost for the Jews commemorated the giving of the law. And in fact, the Hebrew liturgy for today, there's a text that says, today is the feast of the gift of our Torah, our law. So, what does it really mean when the Holy Spirit comes in power precisely at the time when Israel is celebrating the gift of the law? Well, this is what St. Augustine had to say. He wrote, look at the analogy and look at the difference. Fifty days after the immolation, the sacrifice of the lamb in Egypt, the finger of God, the Holy Spirit on Mount Sinai wrote the law on tablets of stone. And 50 days after the immolation of the true Lamb of God, Jesus, the, again the finger of God, the Holy Spirit, writes the law. But this time, it's not on tablets of stone. It, this time, it's on the hearts of the people. Which means... that the Holy Spirit is the new law. 
which Paul calls the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit which gives life. Therefore, in Romans 8 verse 1, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, which gives life in Christ Jesus, has set you free from the law of sin and death. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. What's the difference between any other law, including the Ten Commandments and this new law of the Spirit? What's the difference? All these other laws come from the outside. They can't change the heart. They just tell us what to do. And they can't give life. But this new law, the interior law, the love of God, gives new life in Christ Jesus. Gives new life in Christ Jesus. And here we see the newness and the absolute novelty of Christianity. Christianity is absolutely different from any other religion. All other religions begin by telling people what to do, the law. If you want to achieve this goal, you must go this way. Christianity doesn't begin by telling people what they must do to be saved. Christianity begins by telling people what God has already done in Jesus Christ to save them. Christianity is about grace. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. And all the other stuff the things that we do, the things that we have, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the acts of kindness, that our hearts for evangelism, our compassion, all of it, it all comes out of that amazing grace. It's all a result of that grace, not a cause of that grace. Now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. I always do this, don't I? Devout people from every nation under heaven. And they gathered together and listened to the apostles who went out speaking all these different languages. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, they went out speaking to all those who gathered there. And all of these people that were gathered were bewildered. Because even though they all spoke different languages, they understood the apostles perfectly. They were amazed. They were perplexed. Which, it, which, it, which is what happens when the Spirit of God comes in power. Utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Bible scholars here make the connection to what's happening at Pentecost now and what happened at the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, verse 3 to 4, says that at Babel they spoke one single language and yet couldn't understand each other. And yet here at Pentecost, they're all speaking all kinds of languages and yet they can understand each other perfectly well. Martin Luther says this, Where is the sin? of the builders of Babel. 
They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens. And then they add, so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They did want to build a temple, but not to glorify God, but to glorify themselves. Now look at Pentecost. And yes, maybe before Pentecost, the apostles were concerned about making a name for themselves, about who could be greater. But now they've completely forgotten about themselves. And they're interested in doing, what they're interested in is doing, proclaiming the great deeds of God. They've been consumed inundated, overwhelmed by the presence of God. And suddenly, all that wrangling and jostling for position couldn't matter less. If we want to experience a real Pentecost in our lives, we have to go through the same radical conversion from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. Not to be concerned with making a name for ourselves, but to be concerned with making a name for Jesus Christ. As long as we're pushing and striving to make a name for ourselves, we'll be in Babel, not Pentecost. We need to stop quarreling amongst ourselves and instead just proclaim together the great deeds of God to the world. Now have a look down to verse 23. Excuse me. And it seems as if Peter has something really important to say, which he does. And in verse 22, there's this introduction to what he's going to say. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. And at this point, Peter speaks, and he speaks a name. With the full anointing of the Spirit of God, which he has just received moments before, and at that time there were 3,000 hearts beating fast, waiting. And the name was, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. Acts 2, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you remember this man who went around doing good to everybody? And when Peter's sure they all know who he's talking about, he hits them with this twofold statement. You may have killed him, but God has raised him. And then, in verse, verse, and then in verse 36, for this reason, the whole house of Israel must know that God has appointed this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. So what does this all tell us as we celebrate Pentecost today? Well, firstly, that we must start preaching about Jesus wherever we find ourselves with whoever the law puts in our path, like the apostles here, we must speak of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because we live in a world that's more and more like the first century world of the apostles. They lived in a pre-Christian culture, we live in a post-Christian culture. 
Their society knew nothing about Jesus, and our society knows very little about Jesus. And we need to be using the same tools that they used to confront the culture of their day. And as we see here from Peter's speech, it's the proclamation and the declaration of just two events, that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again. A few years back, Edward Munch's painting, The Scream, was sold at an auction for like something like $120 million. And why did a painting like that sell for so much? Well, because it became a symbol of the society we live in, a hollow and empty screen of utter despair. But we Christians are called and empowered and equipped to bring hope to the despair that we see every day all around us. And we bring that hope by telling the world that Jesus died for our sins and that on the third day he rose again, that we might have life and life to the full. Hope instead of despair. Life over death. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In Romans 10 verse 9, Paul writes, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as we come to the end of prayer week, when we've been praying for our nation, if our nation declares with its mouth and believes in its heart that God raised him from the dead, England will be saved. The nation will be saved. So what's Pentecost all about? It's about letting Jesus come again into our lives. Accepting Jesus again as the Lord of our lives. Proclaiming him wherever we go as Lord and Savior. Let's fall in love with Jesus again. Let's give him full dominion over our lives. You all know the Holman Hunt's painting, The Light of the World. The story goes that when it was unveiled, someone in the crowd noticed that the door at which Jesus was knocking had no handle. And the artist's response was that it was painted that way to show that the door opens only from the inside. We have to open the doors of our hearts to Jesus to let him in. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Lord, with the people of England, Ireland and Scotland and Wales, hear you knocking. With that, we would hear you knocking, Lord, to go deeper with us. And let us welcome you in. Walk into this room, Lord. Walk into our nation, Lord. Walk in, walk around the streets of this nation, Lord. Walk where the people are unseen, Lord. Let us have courage to go where you call us. And fill us with your Holy Spirit.
Let's have the band back. 